Jokey. Well, good morning, Tower View. I hope you're doing well this morning. I see we have people online. Let's see. I see Linda Davis has already said good morning. Good morning, Linda. I know there are others out there. Not pressuring you. So good morning, one and all. This great morning, the last day of February. And Omaha, Don and Shirley are in Omaha. Yes. I pray that your daughter is doing better. I've, I've heard reports that she is. And uh, so I pray that she's doing better while you're up there visiting family in Omaha. Um, today was a wonderful day. Well, so far has been a wonderful day as I was driving in this morning. I noticed the moon in the west was setting. It was nearly full. It just passed full moon. It is now a waning gibbous, and the sun was rising in the east. There was nothing falling out of the sky. The parking lot and the roads are dry. There was a little rain last night, so you may see some wet spots, but it's just damp, and it's not, like, really wet. And, and so, and, and I didn't have to scrape anything off my vehicle this morning before I drove in. And I just wore a jacket and not a big coat. No gloves. It was, it was kind of nice. It's like spring might be coming, but this is the Midwest. So um, we may, you know, it still can snow again. It can still get cold again. So I have no um, illusions or delusions that that may happen. So uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening uh, for everything Today is the last lesson in our current quarterly, the winter quarterly, lesson number 13. And next quarter, we, we start a new lesson plan, but it's the same book. We are continuing through the book of Luke. And Luke, just can, we just continue on going through the book of Luke for the next quarter. So for six months, we are going to go through the book of Luke. Um, and so that's what we're doing. And if you don't know, I am Pastor... Nelson Nisley, Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Check out our website at towerviewkc.com. Check out our Facebook page. If you're watching this, you're probably watching Facebook, um, Tower View Baptist Church. We are in, Can like I said, we're in Kansas City, Missouri. And if you're in Kansas City, Missouri, if you know where the World's a Fun Water Tower is, you know where our church is because we're right in front of it between the, inter between the interstate and that water tower. So everybody in Kansas City, whether you've heard of Tower View or not, knows exactly where our church is. So that's where we're at. That's what we're doing this morning. I thank you. Like I said, I thank you for watching and listening. Um, if you hear any banging or sawing in the background, um, we have people that are building a preacher's deck out on the other end of this building. It's outside, so you, you probably won't hear anything. I gave them a warno, so they probably won't make any big noises. But in case that's what you hear, that's that's what's going on in the background. So here we are this morning. We are continuing on in the book of Luke. And we are in chapter 9 today. And before we get started with that, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all the blessings you have given us. Help us as we study your word that it'll change our heart, change our mind. 
for the first time, for the seventh time, for the umpteenth time, Lord, as you continue to change us and sanctify us throughout our lives. You are the mighty God, and we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see here. I see any other replies other than Darren is out there. Karen, good morning, Karen. And John and Hannah and girls, good morning, girls. Glad you're watching this morning. All right. We are going to get started here. Clicking on things on my computer. So this morning... Let's see what we got. My computer is running at a little higher than I want to. I'm going to do something here so that hopefully that will make it go less. Um, so this morning we are in the book of, like I said, we're continuing with the book of Luke. Last week we were in Luke chapter 7, and this week we're going to be in chapter 9. So at the end of chapter 7, we Jesus spoke to the woman who came to the dinner and told her, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And then we have all of chapter 8. I pray that you've read chapter 8. If you're not, please please do. Not during the lesson, but afterwards. Um, just kind of a summary through chapter 8. First, we have a um, distinction that uh, points out that there wasn't just men that were following Jesus. There were also women following Jesus. And we know they play a role on Resurrection Day. And so he, uh, Luke makes a clear distinction. There are women who are following him that are essentially disciples of his. He tells the parable of the sower and then explains it. He tells about the, our lamps that we should be putting, the light of God in our lives should be put up on a, on a, on a lampstand and shining throughout the whole room and not hidden. He makes a distinction about relationships, that even family relationships are subservient to our relationship with God. Then he falls asleep on a boat in the middle of a lake during a storm, which freaks out the disciples, but he wakes up and calms the storm. Then he goes to the other side of the sea, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, which is not Israel. It is what's now today's Jordan, but even in, in this, Jesus, it was, it was inhabited by Gentiles. And he casts out the demons known as legion from the man. And, and the man wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus says, no, go back to your home and tell everybody what God did for you. And then he goes to an um, official of the synagogue. doesn't say what he is, um, what his role is specifically. It doesn't say that he's a Pharisee, but it would be somebody that had some wealth because he get he would get paid well to do that. And he went to this man's house and resurrected his, his daughter in private. Now we know earlier in chapter seven, earlier in chapter seven, Jesus very publicly raised the son of a widow at his funeral. And in this case, Jesus raised the daughter of a man, and actually when the man came to Jesus, the daughter was still alive. But by the time Jesus got there, she had died. And, and the mourners was or, were already officially mourning, weeping and wailing loudly, and he kicked them out. And then he raised this little girl from the dead privately. So Jesus resurrected a dead child of a poor woman, and he resurrected the child 
of this more wealthy couple. And so Jesus is going around and he's continuing to do miracles. Chapter 9, he sends the 12 out preaching. I would assume it says the 12, but that means Judas went with him. And he was out preaching. He was out preaching the gospel. In verse 7, we get about Herod the Tetrarch. And I talked about Herod way back at the beginning. And this Herod the Tetrarch is a son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is who we read about in, in Luke chapter 2 when the, when the Magi show up and everybody is freaking out. That was Herod the Great. This is one of his sons. It makes a comment about what he's been doing and thinking. We're going to cover that again in a minute. Then Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then we get to today's lesson, verse 18. So Luke chapter 9, verse 18 is where we're beginning. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 says this. While he was praying in private, and and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others that one of the ancient prophets have come back. But you, he asked him, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. Now I'm reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible. So that may uh, be reasons that it's wording a little bit different than what you have. But Jesus, after the feeding of the 5,000, he was with his disciples. It doesn't say if it was just the 12 or the larger group of disciples. And he was praying privately. Now, it doesn't say what his prayer posture was. It doesn't say what he prayed for, what his prayer list was. He doesn't say if he was was privately just meant it wasn't the crowds, it was just him and the disciples. Or was privately like when we see in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying by himself and the disciples are just in the area. It doesn't say. But after Jesus was praying, he came up to the disciples who were there and he asked them, so he asked all the disciples, who do the crowd say that I am? And this goes back to what Herod was saying. If you go back up in Luke and you go back up to verse 7, chapter 9, verse 7 of Luke, it says, Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead. Some that Elijah had appeared and others that one of the ancient prophets has risen. I beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this that I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. So Herod was paying attention to what was going on. He wasn't ignorant of what was happening within his realm. And he knew about John the Baptist, and he wanted to listen to John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist criticized him. And he eventually killed John the Baptist. But now there's just Jesus, and he's hearing reports. And we see the reports here are the same reports that the disciples have. When Jesus said, who do others say that I am? And some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. It's like, well, we know that, that. How could that, why would people think that? John the Baptist and Jesus were like, you know, were two separate people. We've seen that. Remember, most people didn't, at that time, didn't know about John the Baptist. I mean, they knew about him, but they never saw him. When Jesus came to him as an adult, they were out in the wilderness. How many people were actually there? 
There wasn't any uh, TV news cameras out there broadcasting it on the nightly news. New preacher Jesus comes to John the Baptist and was baptized. Uh, weird apparition comes down from heaven. No, they, that wasn't on the nightly news. So very few people would have seen John, Jesus and John the Baptist at the same time. And they didn't know in the, the, the story of their, uh, the circumstances of their birth was not public knowledge at that time. You know, maybe in their hometowns, but that was about it. And that wouldn't, news wouldn't necessarily, that news wouldn't necessarily spread out. Because that's not sensational, fascinating news. I mean, just like people today, they want to hear the sensational, fascinating stuff. They don't want to hear the mundane. They don't want to hear the boring. And so that wouldn't got out. So some people would have mistakenly thought, well, maybe it's just John the Baptist continuing on. But then you also like the idea of Elijah coming. That was not a new idea. That was a, just like today, you have people who say, here's what the end times will be. And they got all these charts. They got charts and graphs and timelines. People in Jesus' day had the same idea, whether they literally made charts or not, but they had ideas of exactly what the Messiah should be. Here's what he's going to do. Here's what he's going to be like. Here's the things he's, they're going to do. And I, the idea that Elijah coming back was, was an idea because it was literally mentioned in Isaiah that Elijah would come back. And people, some people took that literally. That Elijah would literally come back. And the, but, or the idea that one of the prophets would come back. And the idea is, and why would they come up with such, such weird ideas? Well, it was within the realm of their possibility, possibility thinking. It was within that realm of thinking. Um, the idea that God would come as a man and be 100% man and 100% God was not on their radar. Very few, if anybody, was talking about that. Jesus, why would Jesus, why would God come as a man? That was not on their radar. So that would not be, they're thinking about who Jesus was. They understood prophets. Even though a prophet hadn't been in Israel in 400 years, they understood the idea of prophets. They did not understand the idea of the Son of God coming as a man. That was not on their radar of thinking. And so we get these ideas. So they just repeat what's being told publicly. So Herod heard these words and, and the disciples heard the same rumors. And maybe they had talked about these ideas themselves. Is this Elijah? Is this something else? But Peter answered, God's Messiah. Now, you may have a translation that, say, that says something slightly different. The, the NIV says, the Christ of God. And that's literally the same words. Um, I mean, think about we, what does a possessive mean? You know, we, Nelson's glasses, the glasses of Nelson. All right. That's the same way of saying it. So God's Messiah, the Christ of God. Well, so wait a minute. It says Christ and Messiah. Those are two different words. No, they're not. They're the same word. Messiah is a Hebrew word. It's not translated. 
Christ is a Greek word that's not translated. And they both, if we translated both of those words, they mean anointed one. So the Messiah is an anointed one. It's, so when you say Messiah, you're saying a Hebrew word. You say Christ, you're, you're saying a modification of a Greek word. And they both mean anointed one. So Christ and Messiah are the same thing, the exact same word. So Peter answered that he was God's Messiah. Now they didn't, the disciples, Peter and the disciples, hadn't fully wrapped their mind around what that actually meant and all the implications that had on their lives personally, but also on the world. That was still a new concept. So while they're starting to accept the idea that, okay, you're, you are the Messiah from God, they still haven't wrapped their mind on everything that that means. And so Jesus actually begins to, to tell them more of what that means right here in verse 20, as we continue on in verse 21. So Luke chapter 9, verse 21. But he, that's Jesus, strictly warned and instructed them not to tell this to no one. Okay, so he just they just confessed this is that this is the Messiah, but then Jesus says, Don't tell anybody. Which goes against the grain of everything about the Messiah, because the Messiah was supposed to be a great Herod and Herald, and he's supposed to come in and, and become the king of the nation and conquer the enemy nations, in this case, Rome. He was going to come in and kick, kick some Roman uh, behinds and, and, and kick them out of the country. But Jesus said, no, don't tell anybody. That's not how you become a king, by not telling anybody. It doesn't work that way. And in verse 22, he says, he says this, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Now he talks about himself in the third person. And that's as much for us as it is for them. That the Son of Man, that's his title he gives himself as, as the Son of God. He said, must suffer. Now, if you're going to be a great king, general, leader, you don't think of them as suffering. You think of them, you know, as, as uh, prevailing and conquering and overcoming everything. That means you don't have to suffer. And then he said he's going to be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, that they might buy, you know, if the Romans did it, right? I mean, he's going to be conquering the Romans because that's what the Messiah is going to do. He's going to come in and conquer the Gentile nations. And they're all going to be subservient to him. We read that in the Old Testament over and over. And that's a prophecy that hasn't happened yet. Unless you count it as happening because of salvation and, and the disciples becoming Christians and all, and all over the world. That's, that's up for debate. It's necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things, be killed and raised on the third day. That still, they had seen Jesus raise other people up from the dead that had been died for short periods of time. The widow's son, at his funeral, that would have been they had they had their funeral within 24 hours of a death. And, and the little girl that had just had been resurrected, who literally just died minutes before Jesus showed up. They'd seen that, but somebody being dead for three days and then being and then you're doing it yourself. 
He didn't say, okay, Peter, your job after I die is to come and resurrect me. He didn't give that task to any of the disciples. But the fact that he's going to die, he's going to be rejected by whom? The elders, chief priests, and scribes. Not by Rome. He didn't mention the Romans or the Greeks or the Persians. He mentioned the religious leaders of Israel. The ones who knew Scripture the best. The ones who were, you know, the spiritual leaders. If Jesus was here today and this was happening, he, he would say, you know, the, the preachers and the pastors and the bishops and elders of the churches are going to reject me. The denominational presidents are going to pre reject me. The seminary professors are going to reject me. That's the type of people he's talking about. They are the ones that are going to reject him and have him killed. Israelites are going to be the ones that kill the Messiah and not the Gentiles. Even though it's the Gentiles who ultimately actually physically do it, but it wouldn't happen if, if the religious leaders hadn't pushed it. And so this is new information to the disciples. And their minds have just been racing all over the place, I imagine. It's like, what in the world is he talking about? It would not be something they could wrap to. We understand it because we know the end of the story. They hadn't faced the end of the story yet. They didn't understand why Jesus had to die. They hadn't read the book of Hebrews yet. They hadn't heard Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 yet. None of that had happened yet. So this is new information. It didn't make any sense to them. He's the Messiah, but don't tell anybody. He's got to suffer and die at the hands of our own religious leaders. But he's going to be raised again. That, just un that would be unfathomable to their brains at the time. Then he goes on to, to clarify what it means to follow Jesus to follow the Messiah. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says this, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to lose his life, will, who wants to save his life, will lose it. But whoever wishes, whoever loses his life because of me, will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus continues on, what does it mean to follow the Messiah? To follow the Messiah means you have to deny yourself. Okay, that's a philosophical saying. Okay, you can handle that. But it says, take up his cross daily. His cross. Now, what, what is a cross? Well, in today's world, it's jewelry. It's a symbol you put on a t-shirt. It's, 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 it's art that you put on the wall. 
It's a decoration that we put up on uh, at church. As a military chaplain, it's an insignia to tell an insignia that I put on my uniform that tells people I am a Christian chaplain, as opposed to a Jewish or a Muslim chaplain. It's a tattoo that we put on our on our arms or somewhere on our body. It might be a giant symbol we put on top of a hill. But what would have been a cross in Jesus' day? And who carried a cross? The only people who carried a cross in Jesus' day would have been people on their way to their own execution. We see this in Jesus died. All three of those who died that day had to carry their own cross, whether it was the entire cross or just the one cross beam, it doesn't matter. They were carrying their cross to the execution site. And that's the only people that carried a cross were people on their way to their own death. It would be analogous today saying, pick up your hangman's noose and follow me. Pick up your electric chair and follow me. In, it, it's, in a sense, it's kind of morbid. He would, people in Jesus' day would not have been wearing a cross as a, as a piece of jewelry or as a badge of honor the way we do as Christians. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying that we need to change that. I'm letting you know what a cross is. To carry your cross means you're on your way to your death, your execution. Your life is over. Bearing your cross is more than chronic hangnailitis. Oh, I just have this cross to bear. I just have hangnails all the time. That's just my cross I have to bear. No, that's not what this is talking about. This, this is about giving up your entire life. That's the cross, not just some of the niceties of life. Giving up your lifestyle, giving up everything about your life because you're following Jesus. We in America are spoiled. We have the freedom of religion. We've had it for the past couple hundred years. We have not been persecuted for our faith. There are brothers and sisters in this world today that if the government finds out that they are following Christ, they can be put in prison for it and possibly executed. If the government found them watching this video from America about Scripture and the Bible, they could lose their rights and privileges. This video is blocked in some countries. There are places in this world that if you tell your family you become a Christian, they will have a funeral for you and said, you're dead to us, never show your face here again. Some families go so far as to say, it's like, you are dead to us and we're going to pay somebody money to kill you. There are places in this world that happens today. 
That's what it means to follow Christ. They could lose everything. They lose their job. They lose their wealth. They lose their family because they have turned to Christ. And we think it's awful that the government says that we should wear masks in church. That's nothing. That's just disease mitigation. That's not persecution. Yes, there are some states where they, they have a different set of rules for churches than they do for bars and casinos. That's getting closer. The rules of this, laws of this land may change in the future. Who knows? But at the moment, we have freedom of religion. So how do you lose your life? Ask God. Make that a prayer request. Because I don't know what that means. It was it looks like. For me, part of that was giving up my career as a computer programmer to follow God in ministry. Part of that was giving up time with my family to become an army chaplain and being away from home for long periods of time. And so it says in verse 24, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. So this is not a suicide wish, a death wish. Whoever loses his life because of Jesus. Not because you were foolish and speeding and driving without your seatbelt on. No, that's not what it's talking about. You lose your life because of Christ. You stand up for Christ against the government, against your family. And if it costs you your life, so be it. If it costs you everything about your life and your life completely changes and you lose everything and now you have nothing because you follow Jesus, so be it. Verse 25, for what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? Think about the average person in the country of Haiti and somebody like Bill Gates or Elon Musk. And they both die today. What does, what, what, are they the same or different? Bill Gates's casket is probably going to look much nicer. I have a lot more people at his funeral. But they're both dead, and they both stand before in judgment. And they both own the same amount of stuff now. Everything on this world is temporary. Why do we make such a big deal about it? Our homes are temporary. You will not live in them forever. Your lease will be up. You will sell it. You will die. And it will no longer be your home. You could, it could all disappear in a fire or a tornado or earthquake or some other disaster. And it will no longer be your home. Even our families. Jesus made a point earlier in, in, back in chapter 8 
He said, but my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the words of God. Even our family is temporary. We will lose them eventually. All of us die. And we will lose it because they die, or we lose it because we die. But even as our family on this earth is temporary. But the only eternity we have is Jesus, the salvation that he gives us. So where are our priorities in our lives? Verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... There are a lot of so-called Christians out there who claim the name of Jesus but ignore all the words of the Bible because they say they're corrupted. There are a lot of people out there who say, well, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, you know what? So does Satan. Satan believes that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, he knows it. But he does not follow God. He does not follow Jesus. He does not believe his words to the such extent that he follows them. It'll get him absolutely nothing. There are people out there who see the scripture and they go, well, that can't be what it means. I, I, I don't want to live that way, so I'm going to ignore that verse. I'm going to ignore that chapter, that book. And, and they come up with some theological excuse for, for leaving that out. So, so don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is more than just a cuss word that you see on TV and movies and you probably hear people say. But don't be ashamed of his words. Well, how can you be ashamed of his words? Well, one, you, you don't read them. And two, you don't live them. Like we read about last week. We talked about last week about, you know, the, the cost of following Jesus and forgiveness and repentance those are, Jesus called us to repent. He called us to treat people like you want to be treated. He tried to treat people with grace and mercy, we read about in recent weeks. That's what it means to follow the name of Jesus and his words. And then Jesus, the Son of Man, will not, will not be ashamed of you when he comes to his glory. So when all those other prophecies about this Messiah finally happen that hasn't happened yet in the Old Testament, the things that haven't happened yet in the New Testament that was written later, when he comes to his glory and that of the Father and that of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some, so all those things will happen. And so you will be rewarded. You will come to know Jesus. Um, in, in the lesson plan, it has a quote by Jim Elliott. I don't know if you knew who Jim Elliott was. He was a missionary in South America back in the 1950s. Um, and then he, he was eventually killed by a tribe of... Um, natives there who had no contact and had no desire to have contact with the outside world. But he tried to make contact anyways, and him and a couple of his other missionary men were killed. But many of that tribe eventually became Christians 
because of their wives of the, those missionaries that were killed, Elizabeth Elliot and others. But Jim Elliot said this while he was still alive, No, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Everything in this world is losable. So don't don't put your don't make that such a big priority. Salvation is eternal. Make that your priority. In life. And then you get to verse 27, the last verse we're going to look at today. It says, truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And theologians have been arguing about this <clears throat> since Jesus said it, I suppose. Because we really don't know what this means. Until they see the kingdom of God. Well, until Jesus comes back again? Well, that hasn't happened yet. And I don't think any of those disciples are still alive today. So that can't be it. Um, you know, the very next event after Jesus says this, and if you read the, if you continue reading in chapter nine, is what we call the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John on top of a mountain, top of a big hill, and they see Moses and Elijah, and they see Jesus as he appears in heaven. His whole body changes. Is that the kingdom of God that they see? And that Peter, James, and John see that? It could be what John sees and writes about in the book of Revelation that happened many years later. We don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't give us enough detail. But we know the kingdom of God is coming. And that's what we need to work for. Work for his salvation, the salvation of others. To proclaim it to disciple, to be discipled, all those things. Because those are the things that matter in this world. This building that I'm sitting in, we call it a church building, but someday it'll be gone. Churches close for various reasons. Church buildings get knocked down by tornadoes and earthquakes and fires. It happens. You know, how many churches throughout history no longer exist? Why? Because things changed. And so this building, while it currently is a church building, it may not be in the future. And while we should, you know, do our due diligence to maintain it and, and make it usable and functional and, and use it for holy things, realize it's just a building. It someday will go away. And the same with my life. I know the things I'm doing in my life. You know, clothes wear out and I have to buy new ones. Why make a big deal out of all my clothes? All, all that my life is, is temporary. The things of God are eternal. I am not your salvation, only God. Jesus Christ is your salvation. I'm just here to tell you about it. And so people and events and things of this world are temporary. 
So keep striving on, but keep pointing to God. Ask God, God, how do I how do I live my life this way? What does my life look like when I put everything you first? This, this is not about taking a vow of poverty and selling everything and becoming a hermit or homeless or something like that, or going and living in a commune. That's not what it's that's not what this is talking about. It's just realizing everything you have. What do you put importance on? Is family important? Absolutely. Don't neglect family. But don't put family above God either. You know, are are jobs important? Well, yeah, that's how how we, you know, provide for our families and provide for ourselves and provide for the church. But realize that it's just a job. And jobs can change. And it's not the jobs are not eternal. Jobs are an end or are means to an end. And so we move on that way. Take up your cross and follow me, is what Jesus said. Be prepared to lose everything because of um, because of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all your love and all your mercy. Lord, help us to follow you with our whole heart, with our whole mind, with our whole soul, with all the strength that we have each and every day, not just on Sunday morning, but we are Christians. We are the church of God on Monday and on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Friday night and Saturday and Saturday night. We are the church of God each and every day. Whether we were at home, whether we were at work, whether we were on a a conference call on the internet, whether we're out and about in a a business establishment, when we are in the car by ourselves, we are your child. And show us how to live for you all the time. We just pray this in the mighty and holy name. Amen. Excuse me. The End of the Spear. That's the name of the movie about Jim Elliott. Yes, thank you, John, Hannah. Whenever you type that. Um, Yeah, for whatever reason, I've never seen that movie, but their lives have always fascinated me. Jim Elliott and and other missions, when they died, actually spurred more people to become missionaries after they were killed. Um, And so... Um, their their lives were not just about saving and, and the salvation of that tribe of uh, natives in South America. It spurned missionaries across the world because of his death. And so that is an important thing. Um, let's see. Is it Linda? Good morning. Thank you for watching. Darren for typing lots of things. Rose. Uh, Rose Sutton. Appreciate you. So I thank you all for watching and listening. Remember today, church, we are having church again. Yay. Um, Nothing's being canceled. 1030 drive-in church. If you made reservations, even if it's past reservations, we we didn't delete reservations. There's not a timeline on reservations. You may come inside and uh, and worship. We we, we have, if you haven't made reservations and you want to come inside, we have room. 
we're we're not full up from what our capacity could be for right now. So you you may come inside, and then we have if you want to, I, I set up a radio in the basement fellowship hall, and you could listen to the drive-in church in the basement of the fellowship hall with with a handful of people. We can probably put about twenty people down there. So let me know. Let the church know if you want to do that. Um, you will notice something different on the end of the building this morning. Now, well, it started a few weeks ago. Um, the preacher deck. So on the classroom building, the fellowship hall building, there was the door that's way up high that goes to nowhere that has literally never been used by this church since the building was built. <clears throat> um, Diane Shieldman and others are building a deck out there, so it's almost done. So you will see that today. And so once that's done, um, Darren can preach from there instead of the back of my pickup truck. So you, you will see that out there this morning. So I, pre I thank you for watching and listening. Once again, I'm a pa uh, associate pastor, Nelson Nisley at Tower View Baptist Church of Kansas City, Missouri. Check out our website at towerviewkc.com our Facebook page at Tower View Baptist Church. And um, if, you, if you want to, you can, if you have a question, a comment or such, a need, call the church, 816-368-1330. You can call that number, you can text that number. And if somebody doesn't answer it right away, they will get back to you a relatively short order. And so there are multiple ways you can contact us. If you go to the website or the, or the Facebook page, you can send us a message. Somebody will get back to you. So I appreciate your time, your effort to put in and listening to this today and watching this. Thank you. And uh, God bless and have a wonderful, great next rest of your day. I'm going to have to get a new sign there. It's, it's not snowing anymore. So today's the last day of February, so I need a new picture. But here we go.